Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Curzon Film Podcast. This week it is the end of the world and joining me for it is Sam Howlett. Hello. And no one else because they've just been killed in the apocalypse, <laughs> created by Xavier Dolan's new film. That, that is what it's about, yes? That's it, yeah. It, as the apocalypse rages outside, a young man seeks to find his family and save them. Yep, and two of his podcast team have been killed, Yeah, and he has to try and uh, bring them back. Something yeah. like that. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, all right. No, of course, that's not what it's about, is it? Silly. Oh, no. Uh, so, the uh, enfant terrible, as he's been known in every culture paper across the world, uh, returns with his sixth film in eight years, having only been born in 1989 and making us all feel like terrible, terrible people. I mean, we do hate him, don't we? I think that's okay, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's what my therapist told me. Right. Anyway, where every day when I go in there and I go, he's, he's, he's making another one. <laughs> and it's, it's still good. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with him? <laughs> um, yes, so uh, Xavier Dolan, who, uh, who took the world or can by storm in 2009 with I Killed My Mother, uh, returns this year with... Or, sorry... Well, it's coming out this year. It premiered last year at Cannes uh, with It's Only the End of the World. It won the Grand Prix last year, and it is, as I said, it's his sixth film in eight years. That was I Killed My Mother in 2009, Heartbeats in 2010, 2012, Lawrence Anyways, 2013, Tom at the Farm, 2014, Mummy, which won the jury prize, and 2016, It's Only the End of the World. And don't worry, there's already the next one in production with Kit Harrington in... And, yeah, so he's cranking them out. He's got as many films on there as Paul Thomas Anderson, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And only at the the ripe old age of 28, 27. It's just sickening, isn't it? Yeah. So this week we have an interview with the film's director, Xavier Dolan, to play for you in a bit. Uh, But we've also got something else special for us. Uh, What's that, Sam? Yeah, so we uh, so a few weeks ago we had the 67th Berlin Film Festival and we had two members of the Cousin Head Office. That's uh, Director of Programming Damien Spandley and the Head of Marketing Kate Garova. They went to Berlin for the duration of the festival and I met up with them uh, this week in London and we had a chat about all the films that were playing, what won the awards, what they think is going to be a big hit in the UK and what they think next year's festival might look like. Great. And obviously with the artificial eye connection with Curzon, we can look forward yeah, to we hopefully can seeing some things of that you know, the company has bought and are looking forward to releasing this year. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So let's begin uh, with our podcast pitch. And this comes from... Uh, my researching of Xavier Dolan led me to the fact that uh, he he is an actor and he has he's directed himself in his own films as well. Um, but before that, he was a successful child actor, which led him to do some voice dubbing work in a in a in a niche market of 
Quebec French. Uh, and so Delan was became the voice of some pretty iconic characters. The best of which, I don't know if you know this, uh, in Quebec, Xavier Delan is Ron Weasley. <laughs> I was going to do an impression then, but I, I, I think I'm going to... No, please do your impression. I was going to do... <gasps> it's a Nimbus 2000, huh? Yeah, it must have been exactly like that. That's spot on. I can only imagine that's exactly what uh, yeah. he sounds like. Uh, so I will have to be seeking out a Quebec French edition of the entire Harry Potter box set. And But that's for this week's podcast pitch. I wanted to ask you, we've got a number of big French actors in this film, um, the likes of which are Léa Seydoux, Marion Cotillard, Natalie Bay, Vincent Cassel. If you had to cast... One of these actors from this film, It's Only the End of the World, as the dubbed version of an iconic character, what character would you pick? Well, I'm going to go for Vincent Cassel. Right. Because I think no one does aggression better than Vincent Cassel. Yes. If you've seen Lane mm. <clears throat> or something like Black Swan or Irreversible, that's this very scary man. So I th- and I thought, you know, there's a famous scene in Lane where he's doing Taxi Driver in the mirror. So I thought, you know, dub Taxi Driver, Travis Bickle with Vincent Cassel. Mm. It's a pretty good idea. Uh, uh, but actually, I'm going to go for Begbie from Trainspotting. Ooh, that's actually think, a really neat I choice. I think it would just fit so well. It would have to be the younger Vincent Cassel. So we'll just use the time machine. That's fine, yeah. We, yeah. we can do that. Yeah. yeah. Or we could use him for T2. Oh, for T2. Yeah. Uh, Renton. <laughs> Oh, right on. <laughs> yeah, this is spot on. More of this. Uh, okay, yeah, I can see that. So, so, do you think he can do any Robert Carlyle? I mean, I can't, I can't imagine him doing uh, Rumpelstiltskin from um, <laughs> oh, what's it called? Uh, once upon is it Once Upon a Time, the TV show where all the fairy tale oh, characters? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Robert Carlyle plays Rumpelstiltskin in that. Oh, I could totally see Vincent Cassell. Yeah, but oh, he, they... has the, he has the... Oh, hello, dearie. That's his voice. Totally Cassell. Because I was thinking Cassell as well. But I was... I can... I was thinking sometimes he can be a bit... He can have fun as well, I think. He's yeah, not... Tale of Tales, he was... Uh, I was thinking him as, as in a young Cassell. Yeah. It could be a grizzled older one, as in Indiana Jones. Because uh, in the middle of the action, too scary. No, I don't. Think, I think he's he's like he's grizzly. Snakes? I'm not scared of snakes. Yeah, this is gold. Um, <laughs> stop, stop, uh, I, I reiterate each time it's it's gold. But I can I can just see it. Just cause when he's when he's stubbly and he's done the mm. whole when he's done the tank fight or he's done the aeroplane fight. Just like a little quip at the end with his his inflection as well. He, I think he can quip. He can quip. Someone described his face as an ups, constant upside down triangle. Yeah. I did a face then on on a podcast. Yeah. So and your face imagine. looked like an upside down triangle, yeah. and therefore it looked like Vincent well, Cassel. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so as I said, I was you've you've totally robbed me. I don't want to do Cassel as well. Um, so I'll go with my backup, which was. Uh, Natalie Bay, who is mm-hmm. the uh, the matriarch in this film, more like Natalie Bay, B A E. Yeah, thank you. Uh, she's great in this, and so I thought in this film, if you haven't seen it, 
you will you will know what I'm talking about once you have. And if you already have seen it, Natalie Bay replacing Angelica Houston in, in anything. Oh. <laughs> but I was thinking Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. I was thinking more Royal Tenenbaums. I thought you were going to go that, that ah. route. Because she's another matriarch. Yeah, she yeah. is. But I think is, I went Zissou because it kind of has that European feel to the film. Right. And Tenenbaums is very much a New York yeah. film. Uh, whereas Steve Zissou, with what it's about, with the sense of travel um, and the uh, Jacques Cousteau-ness about it, mm. I can just imagine her on like in various different exotic locations yeah. just being this kind of lovely European like queen of everything. Like where, Wherever she turns up, yeah. she would be that character. And I think there is some sense of that in here, but in the not so fun ways in the domesticated form. yeah yeah um but i i could i could see her as uh houston's role yeah. in zisu feel she'd that? make a great if they did a french everybody loves raymond yeah she'd be a great marie barone she would be that would be really yeah. really good and then you could cast Vincent cassell as, as raymond <laughs> i was gonna go robert as, as robert okay <laughs> as frank <laughs> uh okay yeah so well, there's only two of us. We can't get a good jury on who's won the pitch. No, um, uh, I think let's go. Let's go, Carlisle, because I can't. I can't host and then take the points to myself. Do what you want. There we are. I think you you get another one. So you, I think you you might be in the lead I think now. I'm, I think I'm winning now. Yeah. Yeah. You got two points. Um, right. Well done, mate. Thank I you. look forward to T three train spotting. T three. T three. Lovely. Yeah, they do that kind of thing. We could get a French remake of that. Yeah. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Get Danny Boyle on the phone. I'm sure he'll be... He's already worked with Cassell in trance. Yeah, I forget he's in trance. Oh, yeah. he has fun in trance, doesn't he? Yeah, see? Yeah, he you're can, right. He's fun. He's still scary, though. Yeah, I think he's always scary. Yeah. Uh, he was supposed to be in um, Gaspar Noé's Love. Oh, when it was really, really early yeah, conceived. Yeah, it was him yeah. and his wife, Monica Belushi. mm Right, let's get back to It's Only the End of the World. And so this is Xavier Dolan's new film uh, about a, a chap called Louis who has who left home about 12 years ago, hasn't been home since, still keeps in touch, very occasionally rings, sends postcards. postcards cryptic postcards. Yeah. yeah. And he, he's a writer, playwright, and he is returning home because he is telling his family that he has a terminal illness and is dying. And so they've all got together at once to to meet him, really. Because and I mean, you've got the older brother, the older brother's wife, the younger sister, played by Le- sorry, the older brother is Vincent Cassell. Yep, Antoine. Yeah, uh, the younger sister, Leia Sedu, Suzanne. Yep, who never really knew him. Uh, he had she is yeah. very much the younger sister. This is essentially her first time meeting him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Natalie Bay as the the mother, La, uh, unnamed. Yeah, just La Mer. And so they're all getting together for this. And this is based on a play called Juste la fin du monde. And it's we talked about this with Fences earlier, uh, sorry, a couple of weeks ago. And this feels also, you could see this as a play. Yeah, I think easily. Yeah. yeah. But not, again, not a bad thing. No, it's not, it's not stagey, but... <clears throat> you know ensemble cast one location that is play yeah this is uh, it's August Osage County 
Yeah, it's that kind of sort of dysfunctional family vibe and uh, the audience is sided with essentially the one normal person in the family who is returning home after a long time. Yeah. Uh, that's that's almost a, a trope, I guess, mm. of this kind of thing. You, you see it quite a lot. And I think August Dysage County is a good example. Um, even something like his Royal Tenenbaums has a similar kind of feel with of a dis- big dysfunctional family mm. trying to work work through different things. Um, yeah, and I, I, I'd be interested to see the play actually. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so they, that's that's the setup for the film. Let's uh, let's have a quick chat with Xavier Delan about it. Uh, so this was recorded at London Film Festival last year in the projection booth of one of our cinemas, uh, part of a new series where we've got a few different interviews recorded with a few different directors that we'll be showcasing. And these are also as videos as well that you'll be able to watch with the film when it comes out on Curzon Home Cinema and on Home Media. Uh, so let's just quickly listen to that. And to be clear, I wasn't there in the room at the time, uh, so I've just had to record my questions now and then cut them into the interview. So, Xavier, what made you want to adapt Just La Fin du Monde into a film? I guess the um, the characters were were very um, very flawed somehow, very um, you know, very. I mean, they were loud and they were, um, uh, of course, um, uh, very um, aggressive and very. Um, yeah, very aggressive, but underneath the, the layers of, of verbal violence and the, the all the horrible things they say to each other, there's there was a lot of, of you know there was a you know palpable pain, and it really uh, uh, interested me to explore that with actors. I mean, they're not obvious characters; they're not easy to love, um, but they conceal a lot of, of you know many wounds and 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 that seemed like a um, you know beautiful challenge especially in terms of, of acting and 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 I knew it would be it would be very um, I, I thought it would be very rewarding to explore these flaws and these imperfections with actors of that uh, uh, category let's say and how is it translating this from the stage to a film yeah, and the, um, I mean, the, 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 so there was one thing we decided that, you know, that it was clear from the very beginning is that I didn't want to lose the, 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 ver, let's say the vernacular of, of, of the playwright is very, um, I will, I mean, very, um, theatrical, I guess, uh, uh, and very, um, precise, very sophisticated, very, uh, can be you know scary when you hear it first um and but but i didn't want to lose that because i think that his legacy and his cultural you know yeah his cultural legacy is is are these these words and that that precise style and vernacular and i didn't want to lose that so we knew that that we would be we'd be keeping the um, the language the, the the style of uh, of the play. One thing we couldn't keep with was we couldn't keep. Sorry, <laughs> was um, the second half of the play was 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 almost entirely abstract in its structure and its construction. It's just 
people on stage talking to you don't know who and they're all standing on stage and and not really talking to each other and that really didn't that 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 couldn't possibly work uh cinematically so we had to i had to um write uh not write but i, I guess invent a second half to to the play and and take you know bits and pieces and just move them around and 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 sort of you know play with 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 scenes you know that 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 came later on and or scenes that that were early on the play and just sort of builds that 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 half from you know that sec that latter half from from almost from scratch um you know, it was a nice, it was, it was a pretty challenge. And was it intentional to not show Louis leaving in the first place? I mean, I know that was, <laughs> apparently that's been frustrating to a lot of people not knowing, you know, per se, what, what he is dying from or why he left home. But I guess the idea and what we felt with the actors and everything, because a lot of the, you know, the, the actress also had a lot of questions, and I, I didn't always have the answers myself. And it's not that we didn't want to look for them, or we didn't want to, you know, make the effort to provide the audience with answers. It's that to us, what mattered was, what matters is that afternoon that they spend together and the very little time they have to try to reconnect and, and talk to each other which they clearly cannot achieve uh, because they don't really listen. They don't listen, they talk, but they don't, you know, um, listen to each other. So um, why did Louis, you know, leave? Uh, is it because, you know, he, he was just drawn to, this, to the city? It seems, it seems radical to leave for 12 years because that's, that's you know, the story he's been gone for 12 years without ever coming back. So that seems extreme, and you're like, what can motivate, you know, such a selfish act of, of, of isolation, and, and how can you leave behind everything, including all your, your loved ones, even if, you know, something terrible happened? And it's, 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 not, it's actually not the point. The thing is, by the time the movie is over, the questions you had in the beginning, such as, why did he leave? should be answered by the fact that these people consume each other and, and, and are just... You cannot possibly imagine yourself living with these, with these characters. As much as I find them endearing, they're, you know, they just... They don't know how to love each other, they don't know how to live together. It's, it's clear that someone, you know, who has the sensibility Louis appears to have, well, they're all very sensitive, but anyway, who has the sensibility he appears to have couldn't live in an environment like that and would, would, would want to escape. Um, Why do you think these family members are constantly clashing? Well, I guess they're entirely, you know, incapable of, of listening to each other and and... And from that incapacity comes the, the constant misunderstandings and, and miscommunication. So, um, yeah, it's it's they're just not able to 
I don't know. I, I'm, I, I don't know how to answer a question, sorry. It's, it's, I just think some people can't live together and can't, you know. Uh, I think we've lived it with, with, with various members of our own families. It's, um, sometimes you're born in a place with people with whom you have very little in common. And it doesn't mean that they're, um, that they're bad people or uh, it just means that you're not meant to, um, to live with them and, and, and communicate with them. Uh, and you just need to escape or you're gonna kill yourself. Um, not that I would really know what that feels like because I actually do have a very nice relationship with my family. I mean, we play games, we, and whether on my mother's side or my father's side, it's just, um, but it, it was very appealing and attract, you know, appealing to me, uh, that whole thematic, you know, whole dynamic of, of miscommunication and, and, and incapacity to, to listen. It's just, we live in a time where we have so many platforms and so many ways of communicating with each other, you know, all the social media and everything, but yet we grow apart and, 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 and we just drift alone. Uh, um, each on our side, uh, so I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, it's it's impossible to answer the question in in a, in a coherent way. It seems. <laughs> what led you to using close-ups for almost the majority of the film? Um. Well, we did. I mean, when we began shooting, we 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 did you know shoot. Uh, medium shots and and and, and established shots and, and large, uh, you know, wide shots, and it was just they were in the space with, within which we were shooting. It was it was hard to to frame these these wide shots. Uh, very few would be relevant. Would be would be would be also pretty or aesthetically pleasing, and and but also but and and you know. Uh, that was, I guess, the, the most important reason why we, we decided to focus on, on very tight shots, is that when we, we had that distance with the characters, when we were too wide, it really appeared like we were filming theater on a stage. Like, it really appeared like a, a I don't know how you call that in English, but, you know, you know when you're watching theater on TV? Uh, we have a word for it in French, but I'm, I, I, I'm not familiar with the the uh, the word in English, uh, but um, so we wanted to to because the dialogue was so theatrical in, it, in 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 its own way. We at least wanted to compensate with with being very close to the characters, so that at least we could provide the audience with a certain sense of what is going on underneath all the layers of of, of dialogue, all that loquacious you know di dialogue. It, it was important to because of the prolixity of the characters, it was important to provide the audience with a sense of in, in, you know, intimacy, I guess, and just show them the eyes and, 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 and all the subtleties that, that seem to be going on in the faces of the, of the actors, which is in the end what, what matters because none of that, you know, none of those words uh, or dialogue actually matters. It's, what matters is, is, is what happens within, you know, in the sound, their silences and their, um, 
you know, their smiles and, and, and how they breathe and look at each other, that's what, that's where everything happened. That's, that's where the, that's where the money was. And what interests you about experimenting with your work? Well, I don't know, I guess the sense of, of discovery and, and I mean, the word exploration, when you say explore, seems, you know, daunting and, 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 and um, challenging in itself. That's, I guess that's the, the whole answer is right there. It's, I don't want to stagnate in, 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 in the same ideas and, 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 and because I've been talking about the same sort of dynamics and the same not telling the same story over and over again, but I guess that's what I've been doing. So, with different characters and different so, you know, coming from different social strata and 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 and, and with different issues and different backgrounds, different pasts, sometimes in different times, but they do have the same identity problems. <laughs> uh, they they're looking for themselves. They're looking for a place in society. They are misfits. They're trying to fit in. Um, uh, they often love someone who doesn't love them back. Uh, it's 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 often the same the same problems and the same the same themes. So one of the many ways to feel that you're not stagnating, I guess, is to explore things formally. So it's always interesting to me to explore new formats or new at new ratios, new. Um, even new, 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 um, I mean, these are subtle, you know, the subtle choices. Sometimes they're not very apparent to, 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 apparent, apparent, anyway, apparent to some people. But, you know, if, if, if you choose to, to shoot all close-ups and, you know, with a 35 mil this close to someone's face, it's, it's an entirely different aesthetic than if you, you put a 50 or an, an 80 from, from, you know, further away. It's just, it's these little choices that are, that seem that like they, you know, they correspond to the story you're telling and, and you try to instinctively make decisions and, and say, well, I think this is what this film needs and what this story needs. Um, uh, yeah. And your work up until now tends to feature a matriarchal figure what do you think draws you to that? I mean, it depends. That's the, you know, the mother in the play is, this is the way she is. Um, strong woman, um, which I assume is, is, is a figure that I, that I come back to for some reason. I, but, you know, Natalie Bai has, was, was a mom in, in, in Lawrence anyways, and she was exactly, she was diametrically opposed to to who the character she's playing in this film um, comes and goes, I guess. It's it's some characters are stronger and some others are, you know, not as strong. I guess in Mommy you have you have the girl next door, the girl across across the street actually, who's 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 a mother as well, but who's who's a I think a very strong character as well, but in a different way, in a less expressive, less Latin way than, than Diane, than Di. Um, so, and, and as far as I'm concerned, all characters, and it's only the end of the world, are as strongly tempered as, as Martine is. Um, but yeah, mother figures are, 
I don't know. I see I see them as as, as strong. Uh, although I I I I don't think of Diane and Martine as as comparable in any way in terms of age, in terms of of behavior, in terms of of tastes, in terms of background. They're completely uh, uh, different women, and and comparisons have been, you know, a lot of people have compared them, and it's just, I understand, um, but it's just, you know, one dresses as a teen, and, 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 and the other is, 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 you know, that there's a, of course, an age gap between, between them both, and they're just, they have different issues, they have different lives, uh, different, they live with different means, uh, um, they come from a different background, uh, you know, not all strong women are the same women, woman, sorry. All right, so there we go. So uh, it's only the end of the world. What do we think? Very, very good. I think um, we, so we said earlier how adapting plays, you, you often can tell when things are based on a play. And I think some, for some films, that, that, that doesn't always work. So for something like a, Roland Polanski's film Carnage, mm. for me that didn't work. It really felt like it was just filming a play rather than a film. And this, I think, avoids that. I think he make And even the plot of this film is very uncinematic, mm. as we said earlier. It's just a guy going home to his family. Um, but I think Delan, he uses... So you've got these close-ups all the way through. And I think nearly every shot of a, ca- of a person is close-up. Um, and that just makes it feel so sort of claustrophobic. Yeah. And that's what you don't get in a play. Yeah. That feeling of claustrophobia. Yeah. And that's why I loved watching this in the cinema as well. Yeah. We saw this on a huge screen at the London Film Festival and seeing those ginormous faces just towering over you. Yeah. Uh, you do, as you say, get that great sense of claustrophobia, which really works in a cinema screen. I've seen it twice now, actually, the right. second time, also cinema environment. And just great for like, just towering over you and capturing you within this space. And Louis has this feeling throughout that he's he's halfway between... He's like in this limbo state in that he wants to be leaving but has this guilt and yeah. need to stay as well. And when these faces fill the screen, you really get that sense from him. Yeah, and they're not just they're not just in front of you. They're often screaming at you or shouting at you or telling you how disappointed they are in you or how much they love you or mm. or this and that. Or I mean, with Marion Cotillard, who, for, I mean, she has a her performance is very small. Mm. Like she's very shy and sort of timid. But even when she's up against you, you really feel she's she's really in your face and she's yeah. really sort of pressuring you to give her some sort of reaction. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what works really well with this, with this whole technique, is that Gaspar Duliel, who plays uh, Louis, he's so reserved in this film. Yeah, to the point where we don't really know anything about him. Yeah, he's got a very he's, he's a blank canvas. Yeah, and, and y- that works for us. Mm. So we we can ease. It's easy. It's like the Revenant, I guess, where the less you know about the lead character and the lead that protagonist, the easier it is for you to sort of fuse yourself with him, mm. so that you can really feel the sort of he. Um, obviously, he's ill for stuff for first of all, but also he really doesn't want to be there. Yeah, I think, and neither do you. There is a actually, although it's 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 very gallows humour. There is a nice joke running throughout that he's clearly looks very ill, yeah. 
and they keep telling him how good he looks, um, <laughs> which is which is a nice little break throughout, although it's quite dark. So let's let's start at the beginning with this thing, and we've got a we've got Louis on the plane going home, mm-hmm. and then he gets in a cab, and then this cab sequence I love I love this cab sequence because you've got this. Um, I'm gonna. I'm awful here, and I've forgotten the name of the song. But there's this really great, very rhythmic track that's um, made up of like percussion using voices like, right. like those kind of sounds, and that's the that becomes the percussion in this song. It's, it's just a, it's a pop song, and that gives you this opening kind of three and a half four minutes sequence. And the beat that it's cut together, it's just a music video in itself. It's so, so good. And I could watch that forever, and I've been listening to this song over and over again. And that kind of then flows into the film, the fact that these voices become the rhythm and become the mm. song. And that's where where it turns into, because unfortunately, I think because this film has to be subtitled for us... Uh, because we're not clever enough I think maybe something gets lost there because hearing those voices overlap in the same way that we love hearing something like a David Mamet yeah. play where we it's not just about the words that are being said it's how they say it and the sort of your people are answering questions mm. that were asked a few lines back yeah that kind of thing and they yeah they they complete they bounce and collide these yeah. sentences and I, I I wish I could understand it to hear it in that form. Yeah, because I the think poetry I, of it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, I I don't think that song at the beginning is unintentional. Right. Uh, and I think that's that's very much part of the film. And those are the bits that you couldn't do on stage. And those are the bits that Delan is getting in there. Yeah. And uh, there are a few kind of flashback bits as well, which you could never do. Yeah. And that runs that runs throughout the film. And. We've we've already mentioned Danny Boyle today. I think with this closed setting type film, which Danny Boyle can be very good with, it, expanding a very small yeah. space to feel huge. If you think of Slumdog Millionaire, it's essentially just the the set yeah. of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Well, it's shallow grave, shallow predominantly grave. all set in one house. Yeah, 127 hours. Yeah. But the, they become such big yeah. things, and that's a, a little bit of what we get with this house that. Delan expands the stage a bit, yeah. but never gratuitously, like something like 127 hours. Yeah, and you get these little flashes of memory, which I think always happens when you go to a like when you go to a family home at Christmas that you haven't been to or something. Yeah, and you might get a smell or a book or a sound. Yeah, there was a bit that really rung true for me when he um, he washes his hands mm. and he smells the soap and sort of smiles, and I remember. Whenever I go home, and if I wash, just wash my hands, I don't think about it, and I just smell the soap. I think, oh yeah, that's that's the soap that's always here. Yeah, like yeah. That's, yeah. And smell is the the sense that is most linked to memory. Yeah, I get. Yeah, um, makes sense. Yeah. So so he's he's in this cab and he's on his way home and he's kind of readjusting to this. It's quite a rural area not it's not it's, like it's, it's a farm it's just, it's told, we're told it's somewhere yeah we never there's never given a location yeah and we get the impression that he's coming from quite a cool place i think so i, I think because he's a playwright isn't mm. he so i you get this impression that the family are slightly resentful of the fact <clears throat> excuse me that he has made it mm. he's 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 successful 
and that w- during the height of his success, he didn't really give them the time of day. Yep. Um, and I think you can get that. But the way he dresses, the way he acts, he's from a more urban area. Yeah. From, but coming back from the city to the more rural family home, and you can even tell that in like cause I think Vincent Cassel's job in this film is. It's he's like the contrast to that. Yeah, and he's he, like a blue collar. Yeah, he, he's worker. a carpenter. Yeah, yeah, and he ma- he makes tools. So right. not only is a carpenter, he's yeah. making the thing <laughs> that makes the things. Uh, he's he's a super carpenter. Yeah, and so he's come back, and then uh, cut in with with this this lovely rhythm at the start is making snacks. Uh, like chopping carrots right. and celery sticks and putting hummus in a bowl and it all becomes part of this this chaos but that I think that is true of family gatherings where I'm sure you've had it with your mum or dad or something where people are coming I need and, to do something yeah. something has to change yeah. yeah and someone's doing their nails and they're not quite dry and someone's yeah. still drying their hair but someone needs to chop the carrots and someone needs to get crisps and put them in a bowl and in reality everyone knows that no one really cares <laughs> and they'd be quite happily getting crisps out of a bag yeah uh, but that's all part of this and I think that just drops you right into it and, and immediately gets you to relate to this because we've all been in those horrible, yeah. frenetic family dinners. And so then then he gets here and we've got this lovely opening scene uh, of them all together just greeting at the front door. And again, something that we all know where you arrive somewhere and the conversation begins immediately and you, that whole conversation happens in the front door and the door yeah. is wide open as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's nice and awkward as mm. well. Um, I guess the f- the first major one we have is um, Marion Cotillard. Mm. She's the one he has the first sort of moment with. Yeah. Because throughout the film, he has these... So while the family's all together and it's kind of awkward and you can tell, you know, nothing really meaningful is happening, I guess one by one, he eventually has these little meaningful moments with them. And the first one was Marion Cotillard, who plays Catherine. And it's a role that I haven't really seen her do before. Because usually she's plays like confidence really well, mm. and these big characters. Whereas here she's she's very small. Yeah, and she's almost sort of Olivia Coleman esque in this performance. Yes, yes. Although I'm watching Fleabag at the moment, so it's not currently okay. And Olivia Coleman, but I, I definitely see what you mean. And the Marion Cotillard, uh, initially, or when I've watched this film, I've I've immediately thought Marion Cotillard, she's the best thing in it. Right, but. I'm beginning to think, am I thinking she's the best thing in it because she is the most delicate and she's the most restrained? And when we see roles like that, we immediately think, oh, nuanced Mm. character, you know? (laughs) But uh, I think it's just because perhaps she's not loud like the others and she's not brash and she's not abrasive. And, And it is weird that she is the first person that's at the door because they've never met. Yeah. Yeah, very weird. And they have this really awkward, horrible, uncomfortable interaction uh, when they're all in the living room and she's trying to explain the her, reason her son's called Louis yes. to Louis and Vincent Cassel, who is her husband and the father is just, he just makes this a really horrible conversation. Yeah, and he he makes her feel like she's really boring Yeah, and just keeps putting her down the whole film through and it is because Cassell is, he is so annoyed. He yeah. is so frustrated that Louis left and that he has made it and that he has a, a fun job. Yeah. He's not working with his hands. He's, he's a bully, essentially, Vince Cassell. He's in a this huge film. bully, yeah. And what the film 
doesn't shy it doesn't shy away from that mm. it doesn't really redeem him mm. which I think a lot of other films would I don't but I don't think by the end of the he's film not, he's not a I, villain no like that. that's it but he's still it doesn't shy away he's not like uh, yeah he's not redeemed I don't think entirely yeah because there is a really brilliant scene in a car yeah the penultimate scene in the car with Cassell and um, and Louis and Cassell just tears him apart yeah. but he tears down this idea of what Louis thinks he is mm. and what Louis thinks he's doing by coming back and it's savage but there is a lot of truth in it as well yeah. because I don't I arguably Louis is himself not entirely good yeah definitely I think that's you know that's one of the great things about this film is that these aren't these characters aren't just what yeah. they appear to be he's not just the bully Natalie Bay is not just the fussy mum Leah Sadu is not just a moody teenager yeah speaking of Louis Leah Sadu I thought she was really excellent as well yeah even though she seemed uh too old too old yeah to be that character yeah, I yeah. think yeah I would agree I mean I think maybe they just about get away with it but I think that's slight miscasting even though she's good mm. I uh, think it's just convincing a, but it is slightly jarring at times Delan is in a point at the moment where he can say that he's doing a film and all the actors in the world will put their hand up yeah, yeah I'll do yeah, that, I'll do that. Yeah. Uh, and if you're making a, a film with a French family and French heavyweights can all say yeah I'll do yeah. that you're going to say yes anyway if you, and if you, if you can put Lea do in your film you put, put Lea do in your, your film, film. <laughs> uh, <laughs> despite the fact that she may be about like five or ten years too old yeah uh, talking about bad teenagers I love the bad her as the bad teenager purely for her aesthetic and musical choices because I feel like the music in this film is Savage Land's iPod from 2004 <laughs> everyone's uh, iPod from 2004 yeah. and but he's not ashamed no and we shouldn't be ashamed because I Miss You by Blink-182 is so grating and when it when it when I heard those violin kick in, I suddenly, as we talked about this kind of sensory memory relationship, yeah. I hear that, and I am so transported back in time by those few little notes, and just hearing that, uh, my face lit up, and I was almost not listening to the dialogue because I'm so entranced by Blink One Eight Two, and but then also the Numa Numa song. Yes. which comes in later and is there there's a dance sequence to that yeah which oh and it's a joy because it's a it's a memory of a picnic cut yeah. to the Numa Numa song and you think oh that song's just trash that's awful but in a way it was like you know Iron Man 3 open with Blue Dabba D yeah you think oh what are they doing but then suddenly actually it's it's bold yeah really bold yeah and actually you think this song's not awful but it was just like it's overplayed and it's hammy yeah. but you put it with the white, right visuals and it still has value it will work yeah and I was not expecting to feel so connected to a sequence whilst they were playing the Numa Numa <laughs> song and yeah I love that and there's a um, there's a Moby song at the end yeah which I hope was a little nod to uh, like the Bourne Identity in some way <laughs> they all ended with Extreme Ways yeah and I think this one ends with Natural Blues but off of the same Moby album play so I think I think it is a I'd like to think it's a little again the soundtrack is something that elevates it from just being a filmed play 
yeah, I really love this soundtrack. And I know uh, Helen, who normally does the show, who sadly couldn't make it today, just hated the soundtrack. <laughs> uh, but I think the soundtrack has to be viewed ironically. I, I, I absolutely. Yeah, it's nostalgic. Cause yeah, it's just you. I mean, yeah. I picked up my old iPod when I went home the other day, and I was, what was I thinking with some of this? Why do I have the Numa Numa song a hundred <laughs> times? <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, the, the music in this is really something that uh, sold it for me. I, I loved yeah. it. Uh, right. So who we need to mention Natalie Bay. Natalie Bay. Yeah, as La Mer. Um I think she's the character that I've really felt the most sorry for because mm. I think she's um, she's really trying with all of them. Yeah. She's trying to still be a mother to all of them. She's trying to sort of remind them that they were once a happier family. Yeah. And no one else cares really. I mean, she has um she has sort of these rich has a really nice relationship with uh Suzanne. Uh but even that feels slightly strained because Suzanne Suzanne's is, just her taxi driver. Yeah, exactly. Um but yeah, she's she's the one that just doesn't get why no one is getting along. Mm. Um. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. And yeah, I just felt really sorry for her. Yeah, and because these are these people are all strangers now, and she doesn't quite get that because yeah. I mean she's given birth to them. She's yeah. seen them all live in this in the house together at points, um, but they haven't really ever had that. Yeah, and she's fussing around, make sure everyone's happy, make sure the food's nice, and you think, yeah. oh, you're it, you're sort of playing to an empty audience here. Yeah, it's quite sad to watch. Yeah, uh, there are a number of scenes that uh, I think are, are quite key that each character gets its yeah. scene and you as the film is playing out after the first two you kind of feel oh this is how it's going to work so each person has their scene with Louis yeah. and Louis is the blank canvas and they project themselves onto him yeah. and so we've got La Mer uh, the lovely scene in the shed yeah that's a really beautiful scene actually yeah, yeah. Uh, where uh, she's she's smoking and she doesn't want anyone to know but obviously yeah. everyone knows anyway so it doesn't matter um and you've got the one with uh, Cassell in the car. You've got Leia Seydoux in her bedroom and she's got these sleeve tattoos and uh, posters that just any any teenager would be proud to have on yeah. their wall. And then maybe my favourite scene from the whole film is where Louis is in the bathroom and bumps into Marion Cotillard yeah. uh, just outside. And there is... You get the sense through the film that she is the only one the stranger of this family the one mm. person that shouldn't know him she knows exactly why he's there yeah she seems yeah I definitely think that's we're supposed to get that feeling from her yeah that she she understands but no one else can mm. and but because she's too shy she won't she won't 
tell anyone about him yeah. and try and get them to understand. Yeah, and it's this just working, uh, even though you may think once you've figured it out that the structure will get tired, it doesn't really because you it's kind of broken up by the family dinner in between. Yeah, it's not like a kind conveyor of, belt of conversations. Yeah, and when you do have these big conversations with all of them, they are like sort of ping pong matches. Yeah, they're like just firing things back at each other at a really fast pace, like you said, sort of mammoth esque mm. in terms of some of the dialogue. But, it did, um, weirdly, the something that it made me think of. Uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but uh, JB Priestley's an Inspector Calls. Do you know? Oh, so this was. I think this is just because I, I did it in school, and so it's just a a kind of rich family, right? And one of them, or the dad of the family, owns a. I think it's a workhouse or a mill or right. something. And one worker at the mill, I think she's a worker. She ends up dead outside, right. and an inspector comes to the house and basically works through every member of the family right. to see how it's not ju- it's he's not there to figure out who did it he's there to basically tell them you all did it right okay that you've all done something bad and i think as you work your way through this film through yeah. those conversations you see i see why you are in the state that you're in but i also see why louis is gone yeah like what led him to leave you can see that in all of these people. Yeah, I can I can see that comparison easily. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. I think we we may have to wrap up soon. So let's let's do a quick spoiler section. I don't think there's too much that we need to go into. No, just one little bit. I yeah. think. All right. So we'll just um, so pause it there and go and check out the film. It is on Curzon Home Cinema uh, from today. So go and watch it straight away. You've got no reason not to, even if it's not in the cinema. Um, but do if you do have a cinema playing it, go and check it out for those big faces. They're lovely. Uh, right. So give it a pause and come back to us for a minute or two of spoilers so I think the biggest spoiler is that he doesn't tell them he's dying yeah which I think I could see that coming yes I think it's fairly obvious because as much as Delan I think loves unapologetic melodrama which this is I think even that is too far for him yeah to have the moment where he tells them he's dying yeah I think that would have been quite bad in fact, if you had that scene, yeah. it just would not have felt right at the end of this film. Yep, uh, I could see it as the the kind of cr- crying Oscar moment in Wayne's yeah. World. And I never learned to read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I could see it being that. And, and once you've got to know uh, Louis throughout the whole film, I just think you know that this is not something he he's, uh, he he kind of psychs himself up to do it. And I think that you know him as little as we know about him it just doesn't fit his character that he actually would tell them he's dying yeah after this ho- horrible day and I think that they are all better off not knowing yeah as well the film's got a quite a pessimistic view of family I think yeah as much as it's kind of there are nice moments ultimately the film is kind of like you're, you, well, you can't solve all your problems by talking about them yeah because he's dying no matter what and he doesn't get on with his family no matter what so what's the point of combining those two things and making an even bigger problem for himself? Yeah. And yet, we said there are like these nice little moments with each individual member of the family, but there's no resolution to any of it. Yeah. There's no this feeling, we're going to be a bigger, happy family after yeah. this. It's quite cynical in a way, and yeah. quite pessimistic. Um, and I would just add as a last point, so uh, I took my dad to watch this film. Uh, he was a man who worked... Well, he is. He's still going. Uh, he worked in in the field of uh, terminal illness for 20-odd years, hospices, hospitals, that kind of thing. Uh, 
and so I thought it'd be really interesting to take him to this film and afterwards I I said I, we were talking about it, I was like ah, it's very over the top though isn't it it's very melodramatic and he, he said no actually to be honest uh, there is no more or no less than reality uh, which I was quite amazed by and so that that really shifted my opinion on this film that as someone that would have been sat right in yeah. the middle of these conversations that this is actually accurate okay so as promised it's now time for our berlin film festival roundup uh this is with me damo and kate okay so we're now joined by kate garover who is the head of marketing for curzon and damien spandley the director of programming thanks for joining us guys thank you so uh how was the berlin film festival this year it was great. I mean, we, we the people always complain about the commerce of a market because there's a festival um, which is curated by programmers, and then there's the uh, the European film market, which is you know um, people buying and selling films for overseas territories. And there's always sort of like usually two opinions that are running through throughout a market festival. Um, I think people in general were quite disappointed with the commercial side. Right. But from the sort of curated programming side, Berlin is a great festival, especially if you love art house cinema. It was really cold. It was really <laughs> like Siberian cold, I would say. Would it you was say cold. this year? Yeah, it was. Um, uh, which obviously necessitated schnapps at regular right. intervals for. Um, but I agree with them, Damo, that. It is, I think it's it's almost like an avant-garde festival, or at least the most avant-garde yeah. festival that I go to in the year. Um, and you see things there that you know will turn up in other festivals. And it's about discovery and people taking risks with filmmaking. And okay. it's not always successful. And, you know, it's, you know, so it can be very varied, but it's the thing that reminds you why you sort of fell in love with yeah. films in the first place because it's such a great selection of stuff to see. Okay, so Berlin's kind of the starting point for a lot of films then in the festival run? Well, a lot of festivals, they'll want, um, they'll want international, i.e. global yeah. premieres and Berlin definitely has that status. So I think we will see some of these films that will reappear, for example, in London mm -hmm. um, later on in October. Um, and obviously some of the films will be picked up, acquired by distributors, so we'll definitely see them on right. release. Okay. Yeah, it's probably one of the, it's one of the sort of four key festivals um, in, in the international calendar and I mean there was one particular film that I really enjoyed um, which wasn't in competition and I later found out it was because it had played Sundance right. so there is this kind of competition between yeah. the festivals to get that world premiere. Alright so before we get into then I suppose the other things you like, should we talk about the big awards that were handed out this year? So start with the Golden Bear. Yeah. yeah, so that's on, on Body and Soul, which was a, a Hungarian movie that I really enjoyed, um, probably because I'm an OCD romantic, and it's that's what right. it is. It's a film for OCD romantics. Um, it's not an easy film, you know, it's a difficult movie. It's set in an abattoir in Budapest, and it's about a very unusual love story between the boss of the abattoir and a very OCD and very exacting meat inspector and um, well basically they find out accidentally that they are having the same dream 
every evening they're dreaming that they are deer running through the forest together which happens to a lot of us yeah, absolutely <laughs> of course yeah this happens to me and Kate all, all the whole time and um, but we don't talk about it around the office usually uh, so yeah so it's really so it's a really beautiful idea and the film is shot with the same sort of precision as the, the sort of like lead female character lots of very uh, sort of cinescope photography lots of sharp lines lots of really sort of muted greens and, and greys and it's difficult to watch at times there's some quite um, bloody scenes of cows being slaughtered um, uh, the woman next to me in the screen I was in was, was freaking out um, but definitely uh, the director um, Ildiko Enyedi is one to watch definitely a, a voice for the future and I hope it does get picked okay. up for the UK okay excellent so no release date for that yet no okay. no no nothing we haven't heard anything about that yet okay and then uh, so the Silver Bear Grand Jury Prize went to Felicite yes it did indeed yeah which is a film that actually split our team I okay. actually really enjoyed it it's it's I would say it's I Daniel Blake Congolese style, you know. It, it's right. just, I know it's a bit glib, but it's uh, it's got a fantastic opening scene of, of sort of all handheld photography and introducing all the characters in the, in a nightclub while the lead character is singing. Yeah. She's a singer, um, but then it very quickly gets down to business, and she has uh, her son has been in a motorbike accident, and the local hospital won't operate until she's paid the money for the operation. Right. So while his condition is deteriorating, she's out on the streets by trying whatever she can to get the money together. It's really powerful. It sort of, for me, it lost its way a little bit, sort of in the third act, but it had a strong ending. And uh, yeah, I'm happy that it won something. I think it's very important for us, some of the smaller films from less yeah. known directors. Okay. Mm -hmm. These awards can give them profile. Yeah. And actually when I saw on Body and Soul, for instance, I was wondering where, how you would frame that release in the UK right. without the profile of a cast or well-known director, and um, and good for them that they picked up the Golden yeah. Bear. Okay, excellent. Okay, so uh, any highlights? Um, well, one I suppose one we could talk about is a Panorama winner, which yeah. is um, you know like another um, part of the festival, and the Audience Award winner was for a film called. In Syria, aided. In Syria, aided. <laughs> so I didn't realise that I was going to say it with two syllables until right. I spoke out loud. It's really difficult to say. Inserited. Inserited. I think it means under, not under siege, but something along those lines. Yeah. Um, and it's actually set in a flat in Damascus. So um, it's by a Belgian filmmaker, and I'm pretty sure that it will be coming to um, UK cinemas. Yeah, it won a, won a couple of awards, didn't it, I think? Did it? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, and the premise is, is a family that have refused to um, leave the flat. So it's a woman and her children and her father-in-law. And they haven't left the flat. And then there are some other people who have moved in as right. well. And so, um, and it's all set in basically in the apartment. So it's kind of quite talk, quite claustrophobic. Um, you have the sense of this sort of life which just from morning to night is, is just about these kind of small punctuations of trying yeah. to move time on but under this 
um, terrible, uh, you know, sort of regime that you can't leave. There's a sniper who's operating. Mm. So if any of them leave the flat, there's a very highly likely chance that they'll be um, shot. And at the same time, there's people who come who uh, clearly, you know, are either... uh, burglars or worse who pretend to be you know that pretend that they're coming you know as part of a kind of a a proper that that they're coming to see if they're all right and um so so it's very kind of taught yeah it's kind of a film that's about how people sort of lose their moral decency when uh when they're in this situation you know when like martial law or chaos on the streets and it's incredibly very powerful, packs a huge punch. Okay, excellent, that sounds really good. Um, and then there's a, a documentary that I think a lot of people have been talking about, which is uh, I Am Not Your Negro. Uh, yeah, that's right, so it's, a, it's, uh, it's directed by a very talented um, Haitian director called Raoul Peck. He, he actually had two films out in Berlin, which wow. is pretty impressive, mm-hmm. although Army Hammer had about 12. Yes, he did. Um, and yeah, he also he also directed a drama called uh, Young Karl Marx, which was um, in competi- one of the competition, I, I think. But but uh, I am not your Negro is being released by Altitude, who are the distribution company behind Amy. Yeah, it's out in the UK on the seventh of April, and it's terrific. Yeah, it's a it's a um, it's an authored documentary. So right. what I mean by that is it's not necessarily about recording something that happened I mean it's about the um, the civil rights um, situation in the US in the um, 50s and 60s um, and actually and although it's sort of centered around some of the key commentators of the time like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King it's told from the perspective of a, a writer um, and commentator of the day uh, who I didn't know anything about actually James Baldwin who's an unbelievably magnetic speaker and uh, they take the, he he left the US and was in Paris um, living the sort of life of sort of like intellectual and was compelled to return back to the US when he saw what was happening and was an important voice of that time and it's the so the the sort of starting point of the documentary is his prose which Samuel Jackson narrates throughout the film and uh, some terrific sort of archive footage some very harrowing archive footage but also the footage of him actually speaking and doing chat shows um, you know just to sort of fall in love with him um, so that's one for audiences to look out for yeah, in, uh, in a month or two April, time. April. 7th yeah. of April yeah okay and is that was that um, eligible for Best documentary. Yes, in fact, it won. Thank you for the prompt, Sam. Yes, it won the the, the Panorama yeah. Documentary Award. Thank you very much. Okay, great. <laughs> well, other highlights of the uh, festival this year. Well, one of my favourite films was A Fantastic Woman, which was uh, I won a Silver Bear for best right. um, screenplay. Uh, screenplay, and um, and it also won the Teddy Award as well. And it's a film by um, Sebastian uh, Lelio, who did who directed um, Gloria. Okay. Which I'm, it's my my absolute shame I haven't seen, but um, but and I know from contemporaries that it's a terrific movie. Um, I mean, he is very much on the rise. I mean, looking like that, you know, he could be potentially the next Pablo Lorraine. Um, it's a Chilean movie about a trans. So, well, the central character is a trans a transgender woman played by Daniela Vega. I think is that correct. 
and it's the story so she is effectively living a normal life in a relationship with a middle-aged man they mm-hmm. share a flat and a dog and then he unexpectedly dies right. and she is left to um, to well instead of being left to grieve she's sort of put into a system where the family um, showed prejudice towards her they never accepted her presence um, in her boyfriend's life and she's under suspicion from the police you know they suspect foul play surrounding his death and it's just such a such a amazing powerful performance but the film is also shot an extremely um sort of very very stylish stylish way i mean the the reviews are are, are terrific it has already has a five-star review in the guardian and um, I mean, for me, it reminded me a little bit of Brian De Palma's male dramas of the seventies. But it right. isn't trashy. I have to, I have to emphasise yeah. that it's actually a very strong, sort of grounded film. Um, but he, it's also being compared um, very favourably to um, Pedro um, and very fairly to Pedro Almodovar as well. I think it's very Almodovar-esque. Um, it's really beautiful. Um, and when, so one of the things about the Berlinale this year is I think the filmmakers seemed very sort of politicised there were a lot of comments I mean I think we'll see this a lot on the red carpet this year people using kind of platforms to um, you know to sort of talk about the sort of global times that we live in Um, so Sebastian uh, Lelio when he accepted the award for the screenplay said we have to fight the dark ages with beauty with elegance and poetry and I think that perfectly sums up the film because that's you know what it is it's really dreamy um has a great uh breakout dance sequence it's 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 a must see I have to say excellent okay I look forward to that one um, and then I'm looking at so best director went to uh, Aki Kurismaki, who's uh, returned to the forefront with uh, the other side of hope. Yes, I, yeah, it's a great, it's a, it's a great return actually. Um, and I mean, Aki Kurismaki, uh, you know, Finnish director. He's been around for many years since the sort of Leningrad cowboy days, and um, uh, has just released, you know, some terrific movies. Very, very distinct voice. Very very sort of uh, individual language of cinema and yeah his this is return to well I'd say return to form he's never been off form um, but yeah I mean that's out I mean that's we're, we're very proud that that's actually occurs an artificial eye release in the UK and is going out on the 26th of 6th of May um, and he picked up best director um, and uh, in the screening I went in it's I mean it, it's it's very, it's very odd, but I've actually sort of realised after years of watching him that he's a feel-good director, which is a surprising thing to say because yeah. his films are very dry and they're they're set in this, they're almost like they've been they're set in this sort of like nineteen eighties, um, sort of like miserable sort of you know um, uh, you know m- miserable world, but actually the humour comes through and actually cheers you up while you're watching the film so it's actually a very accessible watch and this is probably his warmest film ever i mean he's taking on immigration um and which is very obviously very topical um not necessarily you know he's never really considered him a political director before but actually there's some real moments of genuine moments of warmth throughout the film and so it's both funny funny and warm as well as obviously being a little bit miserable as well which is of course essential 
um, element. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's going to be five star reviews on release and um, one of, well, one of the best films of the year. Well, and again, in his pe- press conference, he spoke about the, you know, about having, the, you know, needing humanity and obviously needing yeah. it, you know, now more than ever. What are we? What are we without that? What are we if we can't show our kind of, you know, humanity and our friendship to our neighbours? And so again, you know, filmmakers accepting awards or talking in these very kind of public spaces yeah. as, as real mirrors to the films that they've produced. Okay, wonderful. Um, uh, any other highlights for you guys? Well, we had another film that was playing at the festival called Berlin Syndrome, which yeah. is out on release on the 9th of June, which definitely deserves a mention. It's a Kate Shortland film, and she's the Australian director who burst onto the scene and launched Abby Cornish's career with Somersault. And she also um, uh, had a, a hit with uh, Law. And this is a Berlin set thriller starring Teresa Palmer. And uh, yeah, it's great. It's like her sort of like doing a more genre um, uh, style movie. And yeah, Teresa Palmer plays a young independent woman who's in Berlin photographing the city who, uh, who, f- who falls for and s- uh, sleeps with a, 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 a local teacher who also, unfortunately for her, happens to be a serial obsessive kidnapper <laughs> and she finds herself prisoned in his um, apartment so it's real you know a bit of a departure for her but I think um, I mean certainly for uh, for the people who flock to see Victoria um, because some obvious comparisons yeah. parallels between two films it's one that, that, that they'll enjoy on release it's very June. tense yeah. it's not the sort of film that I would want to watch whilst I was in Berlin it would feel no. a bit too close to home yeah. but um, get out of Berlin get out of Berlin yeah, don't talk to strangers yeah. never has there been <laughs> yeah a film um but talking, I think we should do something special around Army Hammer because yeah. I feel like I've seen a lot of Army Hammer. You mean do that you, in the more ways than one, don't you? I, I really feel that, yeah, <laughs> I really do, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I wasn't expecting it. I, wasn't, I really wasn't anticipating that. Um, but I read something about him that says that, you know, he's sort of almost damned by his good movie mm. looks and yet he's actually turning out to be a great character actor. Yeah. I wonder yeah. what what you think of well, I always think, think it's interesting when you have stars like Army Hammer and you think about the choices that they make in mm. their professional life, and he's making some really interesting choices. Yes, yes. So, like sort of Kristen Stewart, who we can, who's now become sort of Diane of sort of art house um, or auteur cinema. Um, Army Hammer's doing something a, a bit similar, and he was in a, he was in at least two, maybe three movies, I think, in Berlin. I think he's um, in two movies, but he's also in Free Fire, which is coming out yeah. next month. Yeah, so I that's feel true. like I'm seeing. That's true. Yeah, so he yeah. was in. So he's in Stanley Tucci's final portrait, which was a, a study of the artist Alberto Giacometti. But the film that really, well, I thought was just terrific was mm. Call Me by Your Name, which is the latest film from Italian director Luca Guadagnino. Um, who's the director of I Am Love and The Bigger Splash and it's such a brave performance from him I mean he's playing so it's a, it, this is a gay romance set in 1980s um, northern Italian Lakeland and it's about a visiting American who's staying with some academics in the countryside and an attraction grows between him and the 17 year old son of his host and um, it's just such a I mean, Sony have it, so we know it's going to be released, I think, in the summer here in the UK. Uh, Five-star review in The Guardian. Um, And this is the film, actually, I mentioned before, that 
didn't make competition because it was in Sundance, which is a shame because it would have powered through the awards, I'm sure. And it's just such a, I mean, the, the film's a slow build. It's a, you get to enjoy the sort of scenery and, you know, soak in the sun and get to understand the characters. And, and then slowly the, uh, the sort of gay story starts to emerge. Um, and it's really beautifully played and just, just such a touching, touching film. Um, it's a love affair. I mean, it's you, you, you know, it's a sort of rites of passage for right. the seventeen-year-old. It's the first time that he's, you know, that we see that he's feeling, you know, these very strong emotions. And I think that it's not even anything to do with, you know, about him necessarily yeah. being gay. It's just more that he's falling in love. And you know, there's nothing creepy about it because no. on paper, you know, an older visiting even if he looks like Army Hammer yeah. in a 17-year-old, you know. Uh, but it's not like that at all. It is just beautifully captured. Um, and um, there is something really beautiful about their love affair and um, the sort of acceptance mm. of it. Um, it's, it's great. I thought it was really sublime. Okay, I remember, because that, that, that was the one to take away from Sundance over this year as well. That was the, the film in everyone's lips, and I guess it's the same with Berlin as well. It's... That's yeah, so, yeah, definitely. So um, it was by the time I got to see it, which I think was on the day that I left, right. it was definitely the ticket that you had to have. So okay. sometimes that happens in festivals, and there may have been more films after yeah. that. But yeah, I remember in London I saw uh, Nocturnal Animals, Birth of a Nation, and Three Fire all on the same day, all with Army Hammer. He's <laughs> wow. everywhere. He is He's unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, he's busy. A, he, yeah, he is busy. Really busy. I mean, there's also a film called Mine, which mm. I don't think has been released in the UK, but it's coming out soon in the US, um, which is another independent movie. I mean, he's yeah, he really is working hard. Yeah, it's good to see though, that he can do things like The Lone Ranger, and then come back and do like we've, we've mentioned like six or seven films that he's in this year, which are all really near smart, enough, all small, indeed. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's really great. Speaking of our house affairs, Logan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was my guilty pleasure of the festival because it was playing out of competition and um, yeah, I snuck away to see it and um, uh, I'm really glad I did actually because I'm not really an X-Man, you know, really? X-Men fan. No, not really. I mean, I'm not an X-Man, obviously. <laughs> um, but I'm not really so much an X-Man fan either. Have you either. ever thought what your meta power would be? Oh, that's a good, yeah, I'm not sure would it be. Um, I don't know, I guess, um, I don't know, I think maybe to see the, uh, the commercial potential of films that would be quite <laughs> happy to have in my, uh, in my role. Um, but yeah, no, so it, I mean, what's really interesting about it is that it's, it's, you know, it's the closest you'll get from the X-Men um, canon to a, a drama. And um, I mean, it's directed by James Mangold, who's already, um, he's already direct, he directed Wolverine. Um, so he's obviously fascinated with that, with that particular character, and it's set. I mean, for the, certainly for the first half of the movie, um, it's actually it very much is a drama that explores the different characters, and, um, uh, and you know, and I mean, it's, it's so it's set it's set beyond the Mexican border, and it's set slightly in the future. Uh, it's twenty five years since there's been a mutant birth in uh, in on the on Earth and the mutants are considered to be over and done with. Logan is sort of washed up and, um, you know, alcoholic, sort of living 
in the middle of nowhere and then the appearance of this young girl who appears to have been um, well certainly has some of his X-Men characteristics uh, turns up and all of a sudden you know, the, the, the authorities are onto him and he's been exposed um, but I definitely, you know, I, I, mean, I haven't. I mean, I haven't seen even the last one or two. But I would certainly recommend this one because, um, you know, Patrick Stewart is, is terrific in it. You get to see him um, properly act, which I don't, I'm not sure he's really done in any of the previous X Men films. Um, and it just has this, uh, you know, it's just a sort of terrific sort of story that isn't necessarily just about the explosions and the action. Although, don't worry, that's in there. <laughs> you get to, they get to it eventually. Um, and uh, what I thought was quite interesting watching it was that sort of sort of uh, I don't know, sort of like tension between actually a, a proper drama that isn't about superheroes and this actual superhero film and how the film actually manages to straddle both. Okay, well, it's, I mean, it's great that you can have you know a fantastic woman and Logan playing at the same festival. So Absolutely. Best of both worlds. Yeah, some people, some people are a bit snotty sometimes about the outer yeah. competition. You know, sometimes they feel it's been it's abused because um, because it is. I mean, let's face it, it's an excuse to bring in the Hollywood movies or yeah. a bit of glamour to a festival. But um, but you know, most people who like movies or the right people who like movies like a whole range of stuff. So you know, yeah. so why shouldn't you? Um, why shouldn't you watch a big commercial movie one day and then uh, you know, uh, I don't know, a Romanian miserableist drama the next? Excellent. I agree. And also, I think Berlin um, certainly claims to be the festival with the largest public uh, facing, uh, you know, the amount mm. sort of the most public go to the festival. So okay. I think that's great. I think, you know, we should have this, they should have this sort of diverse yeah, range of films. Kate, uh, any uh, recommendations for us? I didn't really have any guilty pleasures apart from the <laughs> aforementioned <laughs> schnapps. Um, the only, um, I mean, there's one film um, that I just wanted to talk about because I thought that it was very interesting um, narratively, and it's a film called Casting Jean Benet. And if you are as old as I am, you may remember um, about 20 years ago there was a, um, a crime, a murder of a six year old beauty pageant. Um, girl called Jean Benet Ramsey, um, and they she was found um, uh, dead in her parents' house in the basement. And um, obviously, her parents were at the time accused of being responsible, though they denied it. There was no, um, they weren't charged, um, and subsequently, they wrote a book about it. Um, and this documentary is about um, it, so it's called Casting Jean Benet and the premise is, is uh, that the director um, Kitty, someone I've forgotten her surname, has um, gone back and asked residents who lived at the time in this uh, town called Boulder to um, to act as the Ramses, as though she's going to right. make a feature film, basically. So it's all people who remember the crime happening. So they're it's all they're auditioning to play the parents. Um, there's a child auditioning to play the brother, for example. Um, and then as she's talking to them, it's a talking head scenario. They start to also talk about that time, what they remember about that time, and what they remember about the Ramses. And you know, in it, they sort of talk about their own you know issues that they might have as well and it makes for a really interesting documentary narrative there are no sort of um there's no footage from that time so there's no yeah. news footage 
nothing like that so it's an entirely kind of reconstructed and it just sort of bridges this gap between um, you know sort of fiction and fact and if you saw Kate Hayes Christine last yeah. year and I think that kind of you know sort of uh, played around with a sort of documentary narrative sure. so I just wonder if we'll see a lot more kind of documentaries like this um, it got again a five star review in the Guardian right. out of Sundance okay that's kind of in the same sort of vein as um, my Scientology movie as well. Sure, sort yeah. Playing around with recreation and sort of looking at recreation as well. Yeah. I guess that's what documentary does best now, doesn't it? Sort of play around with its own form. Yeah, I think it moves on. It's not a simple retelling. Yeah. You know, it's this idea of a sort of reinterpretation and these people's stories. It does feel somewhat intrusive as well um but there you go um you know it's a true life crime story yeah. it's a netflix original so it will okay. be on netflix from the end of april i think okay excellent Damon. i think for me it's the one film that i think definitely deserves a mention is god's own country which mm -hmm. we know has been picked up by um pitch house for the for the UK, so it hasn't it doesn't have a date yet, but it will be released at some point this year. And um, it's a, it's a well, it's a low budget um, British feature. It's um, it's another gay romance. It's set in the uh, well, it's, a, it's basically about a young sheep farmer in Yorkshire who's um, who makes this sort of unlikely connection with a Romanian, I think. Yeah, a Romanian farmhand. Romanian farmhand who comes to work on his farm, and it's in, and it won the best, one of the directing awards at Sundance. And it's a, so Francis Lee is the director, it's a de remarkable debut feature, and uh, it means it's already being called the, you know, British Brokeback Mountain. Mm. And, um, I mean, quite interestingly, uh, it's very, you know, the, it's, it's, the dialogue is very broad lecture dialect and in the screening in Berlin they actually had English <laughs> subtitles which is something they do they did they, they often do with sort of uh, Scottish movies I'm not sure whether that will well happen when it's in release, when it's released in the UK but that's really that was a really powerful you know breakout feature and we do have some interesting uh, low budget British movies that are coming out Lady Macbeth is a, another one that's coming out um, soon um, to look out for and uh, I think Francis Lee will be a strong voice for British cinema in the future Agreed, and there isn't a whole lot of dialogue so right. nobody should be put off no. with the idea that they might not be able no, to Well actually maybe it's from I'm, the, I'm from the north but I, I understood everything you know, um, uh, you know like Aurelia Neckin and stuff and sort of like stuff like that but um, I just think it was for international audiences obviously with English yeah, not being sure. their first language right, Interesting that that's out and then you've also got uh, Call Me By Your Name and things like Moonlight, that these kind of yeah. you know, gay romances are being told in a way that doesn't sort of yeah, marginalise or... Post-gay, that's what a producer right, okay. friend said to me. She's called <laughs> it post-gay. We're now, we don't have to, you know, Maybe we don't have to have the, to, yeah. yeah, kind of conversation about, you know... It's sort not of the gay, gay film. It, no, it's not the yeah. gay film. Yeah. Though both Call Me By Your Name and God's Own Country have both been labelled as broke back. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I guess that just shows how long it has been yeah. since, you know... Um... Yeah, definitely. I think it is it definitely a very positive thing because, you know, yeah, these films aren't being pigeonholed as gay titles. You know, they, they, you know, they have a lot more going to... Moonlight's a really, a really good example. Um, and the distributor didn't shy away from the gay storyline. Obviously, it's central to the film. And if anyone's listening to this and hasn't seen it, I urge you, you must go and see it as soon as possible. 
Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, three of the films that we've talked about today have sort of strong um, gay issues, but I wouldn't for one minute um, marginalise them no. for that reason. I think they're just they're stories, and I think all the films that we've spoken about, you know, have the love story at the heart of it, which is absolutely yeah. recognisable. And anybody who you know has been in love, been attracted to someone, you can identify with. Sure. Um, so I, I really especially love that God's Own Country, they just didn't, there was no fuss about the sexuality of the mm. character. I mean, his sort of isolation comes from living on the farm and having to sort of stay there rather than, you know, that his, his you know, rather than from his sexuality. So it was good, bold. Uh, okay, and then uh, one quick final film to talk about, which I haven't yet, is uh, Sally Potter's The Party. Yeah, which is really interesting. Well, I mean, Sa- Sally Potter is an um, interesting director and um, she hasn't made a film for five years now. Ginger and Rosa was her, her, her last movie. Um, she's probably better known for Orlando, The Tango Lesson. And this is sort of like a return to her, for, return to, uh, on, you know, she's back on the scene now with The Party, which is a really bold and interesting movie. I mean, it's 71 minutes, so it's very, you know, very quick. Um, running time it's shot in black and white and it all t- the action all takes place in this one house and uh, the party in question is a celebration of um, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas uh, she's uh, she's just been found out that she's got, she's been appointed a minister in the shadow cabinet and her friends are coming to visit her uh, to congratulate her uh, it has a terrific cast Bruno Gantz Patricia Clarkson, Emily Mortimer, um, Cillian Murphy, Timothy Spall, and so you know, UK audiences are going to be very excited by, uh, by those names on the billboard. And it's sort of a, it's a kind of a sort of comedy of, uh, of manners in a way. I mean, it's in a, in a way it reminded me of Abigail's Party. Okay. Um, and uh, basically, there's a there's a series of disclosures. It's difficult to talk about it without spoiling it. Um, but um, Timothy Spall make, uh, has this this everybody everybody has something that they need to sort of either a secret that's going to be exposed or something or an announcement they want they want to make. And so it's full of sort of twists and turns. And uh, yeah, it's, it's it went down really well. I mean, people were were, were in fits of laughter and a standing ovation screening I was in. And, uh, and I think it's very brave of her to return with a film that doesn't, you know, conform. Mm. You know, not even even running time. And uh, you know, and the fact that it's in, and it's in black and white as well. And I think you know, hopefully that one will make it to UK screens um, at some point in the next year or so. It's very enjoyable. It's it's really sort of quite fast paced. It's got very it's got cracking dialogue. You know, it's liberalists, academics, feminists. What more could anybody want from a movie? Kristen Scott Thomas and uh, you know Patricia Clark. I think have a great. You believe in their friendship, and I certainly watching it. I realised how rarely I see two older women talking to each other on screen about just. Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> Patricia Clarkson's character is is actually absolutely hilarious. She's, yeah, she's, she's got some she's, great yeah. one-liners. So, um, yeah, and obviously the, I, I think that it, it at, at seventy-one minutes it doesn't outstay its welcome either. No, not at all. Excellent. I think we should see more films at seventy-one minutes. I agree. Sometimes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> okay, so uh, last thing then, if you could just name your favourite film of the festival. 
like asking to name. Should we say it at the same, should we say it at the same time? No. Yeah, should we try? Go on then. One, two, three. A, a fantastic, fantastic woman. woman. Fantastic woman, yeah, both of us. You did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Okay. Uh, um, it's a, we can't recommend it highly enough. Okay. And I know it's going to be hard to uh, answer this question, but what can you see being uh, sort of like a trend at next year's Berlin Festival? What can you see coming out next year? Yeah, so this is the thing I think that interests me because as a sort of marketer, you you hope that you're at the kind of forefront of trying to see what might emerge Mm. as a sort of dialogue or something. And like we've already mentioned, there were a lot of politics on the red carpet in terms of a lot of statements. And I'm wondering if the statements are going to, you know, become reality in terms of people making films that are, you know, that have a political response to the sort of, you know, what they see as, as the confusion happening in the world now, whether it's overt or subversive, I don't know. Yeah, we see. We sort of yeah. So we're seeing at the moment sort of the post-Trump, um, post-Brexit sort of reactions from filmmakers yeah. who are obviously uh, the awards season in general, or sort of every single every single awards ceremony. You know, um, uh, you know, the creative people are using that as a platform to get their views across. And what we haven't seen yet is how that might work its way into the actual work and how. Yeah. which presumably will inevitably will. Uh, I believe it will. I believe that, you know, I still believe in the kind of power of cinema and that you all come together in one room and that you sort of experience and witness something at the same time as everyone else. And I think that filmmakers have this incredible, you know, sort of um, opportunity to present things which, you know, allow us mm. to see you know unusual and original things and um hopefully you know be a kind of antidote to all the stuff that yeah you know is happening that we don't like excellent so kate and damien thank you so much for joining us you're welcome okay so a big thank you to uh kate grover and damien spanley for letting us record them there uh right so time for our curls on home cinema recommendations Surprisingly, my one for this week is It's Only the End of the World. What a surprise. Yeah. Uh, uh, if you go on there, uh, we have Javier Dolan's uh, personal collection. Yep. So he's chosen films chosen by him, and those consist of Taste of Cherry, Goodwill Hunting, Finding Vivian Meyer, My Beautiful Laundrette, Spotlight, and Everybody Wants Some. Yeah, so... Good choices, uh, though. Yeah, very good. And also check out the rest of the interview that we did with him in the projection booth. Uh, he talks about everybody wants some and he talks about how much he loves Titanic as well um, so do check that out uh, right so I think that's it for this week must say thank you to CSR for letting us use their space as usual uh, thanks a lot for joining us say goodbye Sam au revoir and it's goodbye from me goodbye Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? 
Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 